welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast, and I'm excited to be back with a brand new season, season five, all about the intersection of care and social justice. If you missed any of the first four seasons, I invite you to go back and listen. There are lots of great topics and guests, and I know that you'll find something to share with a friend. At the end of our last episode, I mentioned I was taking a couple weeks off. Well, it turned into a couple months. Over Easter, I launched a brand new worshiping community at the church that I serve. Plus, my son celebrated his first birthday and is learning to walk. So needless to say, it's been a very busy few months. I have been praying for and brainstorming about this season for a while now. I wanted to invite phenomenal guests that would open our hearts and minds to a new understanding of care and social justice. Oh boy, we have a season for you. We seek to bring care beyond the walls of the church to a world in need to create a culture of care and in doing so, change the world. You are not going to want to miss this season. We talk about theology for human sexuality, reproductive health, prison reform, indigenous persons, care for unhoused persons, and much, much more. I am excited for you to hear all about what I have planned, what I've been working on. Can't wait for you to see. I wanted to invite Reverend Tino Herrera to join us for this first episode to lay the foundation of what exactly is social justice and why we should care. Reverend Tino is originally from Norman, Oklahoma, where during seminary at St. Paul School of Theology, he served as an associate pastor at McFarland Memorial United Methodist Church and currently serves at Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. In July, he'll begin a new appointment as senior minister at Trinity United Methodist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Reverend Tino is a gifted minister who, as you will hear, brings a great passion for social justice and truly makes a difference in this world. Take a listen to part one and tune in next week for part two. Well, welcome, Reverend Tino. I'm so glad that you are with us today and looking forward to a great podcast uh, interview. It's great to be here. Uh, Thank you for the invitation. I'm grateful. Absolutely. Well, you have a remarkable story. I wish that you would just start to share with us uh, your call to ministry. Yeah, I start back at home. Uh, I am from Norman, Oklahoma. It is a college town. And I grew up in a very strong, conservative, Catholic, uh, Latino upbringing. Um, So my dad was born in uh, Lawton, Oklahoma. And then my mom was born in Lawton as well. They both married. They both moved to Norman, going to school at OU. But both of them didn't finish um, their education. And so they kind of just worked for the state. At that time, but I grew up in a small Catholic church, baptized, got my first communion, I went to catechism. And you really can't remember much when you were that young, but you remember those significant moments that really shaped your 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 path. And one of those for me was my parents' divorce. Uh, my mom worked two to three jobs uh, during the week, and one of those days was on Sunday. So we stopped going to Sunday mass. 
She raised both my sister and I, and my dad and I, we had a relationship, but I would describe it more like he was like a magician. So he would appear in my life and then he would disappear in my life. So from that moment at the age of seven and on, um, I always struggled because I knew that something was missing. Um, I was always struggling to find a sense of purpose and identity. Mostly, I think I was just wanting my father. Um, I just wanted that 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 father figure in my life and I never had it growing up. Um, I, again, my dad would appear, but then he would disappear. So from seven all the way to, I think, when I was 23, I did not step back into a church building. Um, I had heard around, I heard around the community that lots left because lots of my friends were part of their uh, faith communities and they were inviting me to go to their Sunday programming, Sunday night programming, or even Sunday worship. And I just didn't really want to have anything to do with church. Another incident that occurred when I was young was when my mom finally went back to mass on a given Sunday, she was denied communion because she uh, didn't talk to the priest. Wow. Again, that stuck with me. And sure. I was like, you know what? I don't want any part of this organized religion or even church for that matter. Yeah. How old were you at that point? I was, I think I was 11 years old. 11. Wow. So again, you're taking all of this in at a young age, but you still know what's going on and you know, mm-hmm. something isn't right. Uh, like this is not fair. Like what, what do you mean? You're going to deny my mom community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all the way, I think it was 22, 23. Uh, again, I was still looking for purpose and trying to find myself. And I was really, uh, wanting to pursue the medical field. My sister had just graduated from nursing school. And so I thought, what a better way to do life than to wear scrubs every day in, in the hospital. And so that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to pursue uh, the medical uh, field. Um, but then also my sister was a nurse. She was a, she's still a fantastic nurse. And so I said, this is where I want to go. I remember also I was a really good poker player. And so I was at a poker tournament one evening, a pretty large poker tournament, and it lasted till about six in the morning. Oh it started like at 7 p.m. And, and lasted till six in the morning. But in that final table, that little did I know that that would change my life, because here mm-hmm. I am sitting next to an individual who tells me he's a youth pastor and he's also a poker player. So I was like, are you even allowed to do this? Like, are you even allowed to be you know, in this environment? And that's how we really kind of broke the mold. But he had invited me to go. So that was in May of 2003. He had invited me to go with him on a mission trip to Las Vegas. Now, again, I had been out of the church for a very long time, so I didn't really know what a mission trip was, but I knew what Vegas was. <laughs> and so I was like all for it. I was like, yeah, I'll go to Vegas. Little did I know, though, I was going with 40 junior high youth and wow. 10 chaperones. Oh, <laughs> I told him, I said, you got the wrong person. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, I don't think this trip is for me. He told me, he's like, Tina, listen, if you are not having a blast, if you're not, you know, having a great time within the 48 hours, first two days of that trip, I will personally buy you a room at the Bellagio in the main strip and you can hang out there for the rest of the week. So that was something that I couldn't, you know, you know, I was like, I'm down. So I'm thinking, hey, let this be the worst 48 hours of my life. (laughs) Well, fast forward, that didn't happen. Um, Those kids really changed my life. Uh, I got to really connect with those kids, hear their stories, and I empathize with them because some of us had similar similar narratives growing up. Um, didn't have a father, divorce, trying to struggle for purpose and, and identity and all of that. So I was really just trying to, you know, find my way and all of that. And but at the church really helped cultivate, you know you know, me coming back in and my faith was revived. It was when we came back from Vegas, it was the invitation to come serve as a volunteer on Sunday nights. Uh, Any mission trip that they were doing on spring break or even into the summer, I wanted to be a part of that. 
So any opportunity I took, I, I was I was back in the church. And so that really got my feet back in there. Um, also, communion changed my life because it was a Methodist church. And they said, this is an open table mm-hmm. and uh, all are welcome. Again, I never heard that language before. Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty amazing. Uh, I was I was so that was really how my faith was revived. And, you know, from 2003 on, I started out as a middle school youth pastor, uh, then a full-time youth pastor, and then I started going to seminary, and lo and behold, I decided to become a pastor. So that that's really kind of my story in a nutshell, how I got back into ministry. If you were to tell me I was going to be a pastor 10 years ago, I would have said, no, you're crazy. Um, but but yeah, here I am. So uh, I got married in 2016, and we both graduated, and we moved up here to Kansas City five years ago. And so we've been out here ever since. Wow, that's remarkable. And how old were you when you uh, became involved in the United Methodist Church and had that awakening to the open table where all are welcome? Yeah, so I, I was 24. 24, okay. I was sitting there and I had been invited to, you know, again, I'm, I'm starting to start this journey slowly because I'm still sure. suspect on the church and sure. religion. So I'm sitting there on a Sunday morning and it's communion Sunday. And that's when, you know, the pastor at the time, was, his name was Randy Wade, got up there and said, all are welcome to come and feast at God's table. And I said, wait a minute, all are welcome? You don't have to be a Methodist or you don't have to be a specific you know, group, but everyone can come in and partake in this in this sacred meal. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that really you know, opened my eyes that, wow, this is, this is something that I, that I think I can kind of gravitate to and come back into slowly. Again, I was still suspect a little bit because I just... I was just hurt. I had seen what the church had done to my family. I, I had saw it at a young age. and But I, that's when I started slowly getting back into, you know, the church and serving the church. And really, it was communion that really just blew me out of the water. Wow. So from 11 years old as a boy to see your mother, your family denied communion to then being welcomed home, embraced into um, really a, a new way of doing family, a new way of welcoming to being welcomed to God's table. So what a, what a remarkable transformation. And yeah. mm. I think that's, that's where we go into the conversation for today. Right. I mean, we talk about, you know, justice and mm-hmm. I was already at a young age thinking like, Hey, this is not fair, <laughs> you know, sure, um, sure. just because my parents had some, you know, struggles in, in their marriage and they decided to divorce, you know, it doesn't mean that they should be denied you know, at least what was taught to me, uh, uh, an amazing gift of grace, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, I knew at that, you started seeing these images that, hey, this is this is not equal. This is not fair. This is not just. Again, I didn't mm-hmm. have the, I didn't, ar- didn't know how to articulate that mm-hmm. at that time, but I knew there was something there in my spirit that just was triggering me like, okay, we got to fix this. We got we to gotta, we gotta bring awareness to this. Absolutely. And also so that others, other young boys, other young girls, other, other people don't have uh, what you experienced to be denied God's grace. Correct. Correct. So you have a radical passion for social justice. And I'm curious for our listeners, what does social justice mean to you? Mm, It's a great question. Let me first break down. I think it's helpful for us to break down the word, uh, justice uh so 
there's a lot of definitions out there that have you know very similar you know lines as far as when it's trying to define itself webster defines it as the quality of, of being just or equal or fair and so you know in other words justice is is that moral code that should should it should be that moral code that guides our, our morals our ethics uh, towards a fair and, and equitable society so when individuals or communities act on behalf of justice you know they're standing up for what's right they're standing up for what's fair so what do we mean when we talk about social justice? Well, it, it's the quality, uh, uh, again, of, of, distribu of distribution of wealth, health, well-being, privileges, and, and social rights. So you're, you're putting that piece together to make sure that, you know, what I have, ultimately, my sisters and brothers should have. I mean, really, that's what we're fighting for, is, is equity, is, is, is a just equity um, for, for community. Does that make sense? Absolutely. enjoying the conversation. There are many more resources on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. I hope that you'll check them out. Also, we have two exciting webinars coming up. The first, July 15th and 16th, 2022, for certified lay ministers to receive specialization in congregational care. This is in collaboration with the Lay Servant Ministry of the United Methodist Church. And October 15th and 16th, 2022, we'll host our fall webinar to train and equip your pastors and laity to coordinate and begin a care ministry. This is also a great training for new congregational care ministers or pastors who are looking to take their care ministry to a whole new level. All are welcome to join us. It doesn't matter what denomination you're in or even if you're just curious. You can register on our website, and please reach out if you have any questions. And now, back to our episode. This season, we're going to go down so many different avenues of what does social justice look like? Um, how are we uh, attuned, aware to the needs of social justice? But I think what's important is, is that we see the scope of social justice as so broad. It's so wide. And I wonder if you could just touch on when you think of social justice and the work of social justice, what comes to mind for you? What are the arenas um, that we should be attuned to and, and pay attention to as we go about our, our daily lives? Yeah. So, you know, as pastors, as care pastors, as leaders, this is, I think one of the things that, that for me personally, that I have learned over the years is this word called empathy. Um, our faith story is about a God who was near to those who are hurting, uh, those who are longing to be to be free, to be liberated, a God who was seeking us out, walking alongside with us. So yes, God walks with us through our, our mountaintop experiences, but God also walks with us in the valleys. And so today, I think we could do a better job. When I say we, I'm talking about church leaders, talking about caregivers, care pastors, we could do a better job at really showing empathy. I think we've gotten the importance of, of what that looks like. Um, and I think it's connected also with being in solitude, also just being still. Uh, our culture has certainly challenged us in this area. Uh, I, you know, two years ago, we were in the heart of the pandemic, and I was observing, you know, because I was getting all these questions from folks that were calling me as their pastor saying, you know, is this the end of the world? What, what are we to do? What, what, what's going on here? I'm, I'm struggling with this. And really, I think globally, we were all 
struggling in a way. Um, I think we were also struggling, you know, because we didn't know how to just sit still. We had never been really taught to sit still and just be in a moment because our culture has, is telling us to go 100 miles an hour. But we were also grieving because all of us had lost something. We, we either lost loved ones, uh, we lost our schedules, we lost our time, we lost our control. And so we were really just stuck in our homes and our, in our environments that, that we didn't really know what to do. Um, and all we could long for was getting back to some state of normalcy. I have been telling folks that, you know, because yes, we're still in this pandemic and hopefully we'll be entering in this post-pandemic world soon, but we got to give ourselves permission for one as leaders to grieve um, and, and to really empathize with others who, who are struggling as well. Uh, people are you know, hurting right now. They are overwhelmed, they are tired, they are exhausted. And they have to put on this facade thing that they have to have it all together. Uh, we, I've heard conversations say, well, the, you know, the COVID really did this to a lot of folks and, and, and they blame it on COVID. I don't believe that. I think COVID just peeled back the layers. Mm -hmm. We were not really a healthy society already going into the yes. pandemic. Uh, and so I have been learning to just really take a step back knowing that I don't have all the answers, right? And the best thing that I can do as someone who is a caregiver, who is a care pastor, a pastor in general, but also in this justice work, the thing that I also have to do is take a step back and really just listen and learn, but also empathize, mm -hmm. uh, empathize with my sisters and brothers. Uh, in that empathy that we're showing, uh, we're not also growing ourselves, but we're learning and we're learning to listen again. And we're learning just to walk alongside with folks. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember a story of a young lady who was telling me just, you know, she had lost her son to suicide. And, you know, there was a lot of things that were, that had pretty much, you know, led to that point. And, and you're kind of just listening and, and you're looking at mental health, you're looking at uh, lack of resources, uh, lack of wealth, uh, financial resources. And so as you're listening to all this, she is just weeping and she is just, you know, we're our own worst critics at times, right? And so she is just beating herself up. And she is thinking that, you know, that her son is going to hell, that she's going to hell because she failed as a parent. And I remember what none of the seminary training that I got could prepare me for that moment. Sure. Really, it's our humanity that kicks in. And so mm -hmm. I just remember just grabbing her hand and just say, listen, I want you to know that you are loved, that you are loved by an amazing God, that you are loved by this community, uh, that I love you and that um, I don't have all the answers. But one thing I do know is that love prevails and I'm going to walk alongside with you in mm -hmm. this and that you don't have to do it alone. And that was a couple of years ago. And now she's a care minister who is helping other folks that have been in her situation. Mm -hmm. And again, that's how the spirit works. So I had, I, I've learned that over the last five years, um, empathy and learning and listening when we really kind of do this, this justice work and care work. Sure. I like the image you said, and, and you kind of used your hands to say, you kind of, COVID kind of pulled back the curtain. It, it kind of revealed um, to all of us the importance of social justice. I think because it affected each one of us, it allowed us to lean into that empathy. You know, for, for many of us, um, I would say for many of us privileged people, we were able to stay home and stay safe and have plenty of food. We kept our jobs. Um, and I think that empathy of, wow, you know, we have so much and in the middle of this historic pandemic, 
it opens your eyes, even if social justice is a passion for you or for, for some people, you thought you were an advocate. It, it opened your eyes in a new way. And I think that's what's so important when we think of these huge historic events that happen that change our perspective. It's an opportunity that we can say, you know what, this, what's happening in our society isn't right. While we thought we were doing the work of justice, we're just, we're, it, we're exposed on a whole nother level of like, we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. This isn't right. And so I appreciate you really letting us think about that for just a moment um, to really open our eyes in a new direction. And I, and that's so biblical, right? Um, we are called to see anew. We are called to see the suffering anew. We're called to see where God's people are hurting. And while we may be hurting, yes, we are hurting and we need to, and grieving and processing what the last two years was all about. Um, there are some that, that we need to empathize in a whole deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's been a, it's been a journey for sure. Yeah. The thought that comes to my mind as we're talking about this, um, you know, as we continue to, to, to lean into this, you know, practice of empathy, uh, the church, I've seen several churches do amazing things, um, you know, connected with, with justice work. I think we have to be mindful that, uh, so we call it acts of mercy or, or even, you know, acts of charity, right? Because we have no problem of addressing the effects of the, the social injustices that, that plague our communities and our societies. Like, for example, the church where I currently serve, they adopted uh, five inner city schools, I, I believe, over the last couple of years. It, they have great partnerships with, with the teachers out there. They go and read to the kids. And then they also sack uh, meals during the school year for, the, uh, for some of these students because they go home without a meal. And this is a beautiful gift, right? This is a beautiful thing that we're doing. Um, the challenge uh, that you would put forward to them is that the justice piece, the justice question would ask us, can we envision a day where we don't have to sack meals anymore for these kids? Mm-hmm. Um, can we envision a day where we don't have to send them to the food pantry anymore, mm-hmm. right? And so that justice piece then would allow us to look into the, to the actual causes of why kids are going to going home without a meal at night. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Why we got our, uh, the Casey uh, public school district out here uh, five, six years ago, got their accreditation taken away from them, right? Why is that? You know, mm-hmm. we have to do that. Then we start exegeting, exegeting uh, for those folks that are listening is, is kind of a seminary word for us to kind of, when we get ready to preach, we have to do our studying and we, and we break out the passage, but we have to exegete our communities. We have to learn about what our history says and, and, and the policies that have really done harm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, I, I want to express the importance of, of, yes, the acts of mercy, but also the justice piece has, to, they both have to come together mm-hmm. and work together for the good. Mm-hmm. It's calling us to go upstream. It's calling mm-hmm. us um, to go deeper and asking those questions, why? Why is this student in this position looking at the systemic injustices that has uh, traveled with this family for generations? Um, You know, we also talk about uh, systemic racism, uh, but it's systemic poverty, it's systemic um, injustices when it comes to, for instance, uh, redlining in, in communities and 
it's going upstream to figure out how do we work and and make right what has been wrong for and unjust for so many generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, many important it, things to think about. It has. Uh, I remember. So when I learned here in Kansas City, uh, living here in Kansas City in the area for over five years, my, my wife. She is a, an amazing advocate for education. She works in education. Uh, so I've learned a lot from her as well. But what we found out was, uh, so especially with black and brown students, um, they have been affected by, to your point, the systemic policies that go all the way back to, to segregated laws back in the 40s and 50s here in Kansas City, mm-hmm. Missouri. And even when we had the Brown uh, uh, versus Board of Education in Topeka out here and it, and it passed, you know, you, you would think that, okay, things are moving forward, but yet people in power still held on to some of those policies that now still affect uh, our students today. Yes. And in fact, the KC uh, Star, which is a major, which is our major newspaper out here in the city, posted an article uh, last May, uh, calling you know all of this out, and even their their complicity uh, of you know through the years uh, of being complicit and and being silent, on holding these politicians and these these people who were held in these uh, high positions, uh, holding them accountable, sort of say, right? So it affects our students. It affects our generation. And so the church, you know, should be involved in that, uh, which we'll talk more about that here in a moment. As like, how does the church get involved in something like that where, you know, are, are we getting into politics now? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll unpack that a little bit more as well. Awesome. Awesome. I'm curious if you'll share um, the scripture in your heart that really speaks to social justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would please uh, yeah, it's, it's my mantra. Um, it's, it's what I live with. And so Luke's gospel is my favorite gospel. Uh, I call it the social, go- uh, social justice gospel because I think, I believe the author is pointing out uh, a lot of things there uh, as far as uh, Jesus' interaction with the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed, but also even with women. Um, he is bringing an inclusive community together. Mm-hmm. But as he goes and starts his ministry, um, he's just now been baptized. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he is ready to begin. And what does he do? He goes back to his hometown. And he, uh, many of us are probably familiar with it. Luke chapter four, um, verses 16, he unravels the scroll, uh, mm-hmm. prophesizing the words of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, because he has anointed me to to uh, bring good news, preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives and recovery sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, uh, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Uh, that that that's it. Uh, that that is Jesus's ministry, and you know they're in awe of it. They're they're like, wow, this is amazing. And all of a sudden, he says these words like, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he quotes a proverb that really startles the crowd and they wind up turning on him. And in fact, you know, they wind up trying to kill him. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. again, this is what's so fascinating about these stories and scriptures, like Jesus kind of snuck out of that crowd and was able to prevent himself from getting thrown off the cliff. But that really is important for us to remember that we, the spirit of the Lord is upon us, not like, yes, the spirit of the Lord was upon us yesterday, but not tomorrow, but in this moment right now, even as we speak, the spirit of the Lord is upon us and has anointed us to go out and bring this good news. What's that good news? Well, think about an example of good news that you had for the first time in your life, and you could not help but share that. 
right? And and that's our goal is to go out and say, hey, you know what? You are loved by God. I see you. I'm walking on alongside with you, and we're going to walk this journey together. Uh, I think I grew up, remember, I told you I grew up in a kind of a conservative theology where it was supposed to be like, are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Mm -hmm. And okay, if if I didn't know it, okay, now I'm saved. But that was really the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember when I was, you know, in my dorm room at one point, and uh, we were down in Norman, and a couple of uh, students were, you know, knocking on our door, and we opened the door. And that's when I first started getting back into the church. And they were like, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel him again, you know. And they, they almost, they were like disappointed because they didn't know what else to say <laughs> after that. Sure. Uh, and they were like, okay, well, thank you for your time. But I was really discouraged because I, I thought, well, maybe they would invite me to their church. Maybe they would invite me over for, for a meal. Maybe, but there was none of that, right? So this individualism that we have, yes, there there is importance of, of connecting with God on a, on a personal level. I think that's important. It's part of our growth, but really God is, is a community organizer. God is, is for all of us and building us and bringing us together uh, to do good work. And so, uh, you know, that's, what's so unique about our faith is that, is that it's not, it's not a silo. It's not, it's not meant to be silo. It's meant to be shared and it's meant to be brought together where we're all in this thing together. So, that is my my mantra for there. But there's a couple of other scriptures that I hold on to. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you'll join us next week as Reverend Tino shares other scriptures and examples of what the intersection of care and social justice looks like. Be sure to rate and comment on this episode. And of course, go back and listen to any other episodes on the podcast. Share with your neighbors, maybe your pastors or a friend. But until next time, may God bless you and keep you.